0: Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Darrawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Now, let's relax on the Convo Couch and chat to this week's guest.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. Something a little different today. This episode is a Convo Couch chat with three emerging authors, Holly Craig, Valerie Miller, and Alicia Thompson. All three are authors I've come across on Instagram, loved what they've posted, and followed them. So when it came time to compile the first panel chat for Rights for Women, I decided to invite all three on at once. So this is a little bit of an experiment on the podcast. Let us know what you think when you hear or watch, but I'm really excited to be able to introduce you to these authors if you don't know who they are already. And just to find out a little bit more about how they're handling and approaching their lives as authors and being published, basically. So a little bit of info about each one. Holly Craig is a writer, English teacher and primary teacher. She has a fabulous blog where she writes about writing and invites others to share their experiences in order to inspire, lift, mentor and motivate each other to reach that seemingly impossible target. Holly thinks of it as an online diary that other people get to snoop into. There are some really fabulous articles there and I highly recommend that you check them out. All the links to all authors' websites and socials will be in the show notes too for the episode. Valerie Miller lives in Brisbane with her husband and daughter. In October 2021, Valerie completed her Master of Letters in Creative Writing at Central Queensland University. She has a number of writing projects on the go, including a romantic historical magical realism novella about belonging, love and self-discovery, a novel and a short story anthology, all to be published under her indie author imprint, Yellow Shutter Books. And my third guest is Alicia Thompson. Alicia grew up in Wollombay in a beautiful part of New South Wales. And after traveling the world in her twenties, she returned to Australia consulting, teaching and promoting her writing work through her company eFolio. She developed her writing skills through a program of reading and short courses which culminated in a Masters of Creative Writing at the University of Technology in Sydney. Her debut novel, Something Else, was published by Nine Star Press in October 2021. So Valerie, Holly and Alicia, welcome to Writes for Women
2: welcome welcome thanks for being here it's so exciting (laughs) (laughs) now
1: some people are going to be listening to this podcast on audio so they're not going to be able to to see you although you know they'll be able to see everyone's photos on socials but others will be watching us on video on youtube so after a couple of questions i think everyone will get the hang of who to identify everybody's voices but just so that we can make sure that we know who everybody is I'm going to address the questions to you one at a time and then I'm sure the conversation will go off on a few tangents as we roll along as it happens on Rights for Women. So can we start first of all with your paths to publication? How did you get to be where you are now in terms of your writing basically? Valerie, can we start with you?
2: Sure. Look, (laughs) I've been dabbling as a writer. All my life. I actually come from an Italian background, so English is my second language. And so books helped me to master the English language. So I once I discovered reading, I then discovered writing and have always written. But it wasn't until I moved to Brisbane, just before I turned 50, that I decided that if I don't do something about it, I'm just always going to be wondering about it. So I think I just made the leap to um, make the decision to just to get my stories out into the wild. And that's what I did. So I Completed a creative writing workshop with the Australian Writers Centre and then started writing my first novel for NaNoWriMo in 2018, which I always knew was going to be a practice one. And it was doing some research with trying to find out what you would call someone who studies letters, like writing letters. And okay. there is no such thing, as I found out. But I came across this Master of Letters in Creative Writing with this with Central Queensland University. So I enrolled in that. And that was probably the one thing that really got me going because I think working at a at a tertiary level in your writing and having to share your work with your with your colleagues or your peers gave me the confidence to just take my work and, and put it out there and to receive criticisms and feedback and to and to build resilience. And I think that's the one thing that's been the most <laughs> biggest thing for me is is developing a strong resilience and knowing that not everyone's going to write like my work, but The fact is if you don't get it out there, it's never going to get out there. So that's where I'm at at the moment. And then I was always thinking about trade publishing, but just recently early last year after listening to Joanna Penn talk because she's like the queen of self-publishing, I just decided decided that self-publishing just seems to suit the type of person I am because I like to be in control and I like to have that creative control. And yeah, so I just developed a business model with my accountant and I've actually changed my company's name because we had to register. So I'm now actually officially a business. So I'm now no longer am Yellow Shutter Books because we had to re-register. So I'm now Blushing Daisy Books. So yeah, so that's what I've decided to do. Fantastic and great to
1: like really treat it like a business too. Really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Nice blend of that creative business brain. Sounds
2: fantastic. Loving the marketing too.
1: So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. You're, you're doing the right thing then <laughs> if you love the marketing. How about you, Alicia? What, how, what's been your path to publication?
3: Well, listening to Valerie, I'll start even earlier than I was planning to. I used to do uh, fan fiction with my girlfriend when we were about seven years old, writing our own Trixie Beldens. Great. Uh, fan fiction even existed, God knows what my girlfriend and I would have done with an internet. We would have gone crazy. So I've always written because I love reading and... Um, the, the seminal moment for me was doing a CE education, and that's continuing education with Sydney Uni. Of course, with um, the writer Catherine Hayman. You probably uh, know she's brought Fury out yeah. recently. She's, she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, she's a great teacher. And uh, the exercises she gave us were just so inspiring. And she literally kicked my novel off the page. And I went home and thought, I can do this. I can start at chapter one and I can start writing. That's how good she was. Mm. And I had some novel um, ideas brewing and I literally just sat down and wrote the whole thing out and uh, did a lot of plotting on spreadsheets and things because I'm that sort of analytical person. And I've gone through about five drafts and it got a bit bogged down. And um, in a period of unemployment, I just thought, I've got this other idea. I'm just going to write that instead. And something else just vomited out in three months. And I thought, oh, okay. Had 55,000 words. So I sent it off to um, Nicola O'Shea. She does manuscript assessments. Yeah. And she gave me some great feedback. I did some of it and I just, I wasn't prepared for doing the rest of it. And I just started working again because work just gets in the way. And I've got a mathematical sort of career and, and I find it's the exact opposite of what I need for creating. And it really takes me out of it. So um, in another period of unemployment or between contracts with COVID, I just thought, if I like Valerie, if I don't do it now, when? When will mm. I do this? Mm. So I've taken two years off work, which is significant at my age, and I just thought I've got to give it a go. So I fixed it up. I sent it off to some mainstream publishers. Apparently LGBT stuff's in demand at the moment, but nobody seemed interested. I didn't even get acknowledgements. And then I thought, well, maybe I need to be more targeted here. And I thought maybe I just need to focus on some LGBT publishers. Mm. And then I started getting the responses and uh, got an offer. And um, that was February last year. And uh, Nine Star Press took me on the journey and... um, we released it in October and I'm sort of a hybrid between Holly and Valerie, I think, listening to their stories because I've got a publisher, but they're niche and very small. So they did some of the hard work for me in terms of typesetting, cover, editing, ISBN, ebook distribution, that kind of thing, and Ingram mm. Spark. But in terms of everything else, it's all on me and my goodness. I don't know when I'm going to write book two. I really don't. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? It's it's very time-consuming.
3: Yeah, I'm doing all this work so I can get a mainstream publisher for this book I can't write.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's hard, isn't it? It's getting that balance. But, but we're going to come back to that sort of thing in our discussion. Mm-hmm. How about you, Holly? You've got a, a di- bit of a different story.
4: Yeah, so I am um, a bit like Valerie. have just been writing my whole life since I was a little girl. And even through my teens and 20s, I would up until 11 or 12 at night writing. My flatmates used to tease me for it because I wouldn't be out partying. I'd want to be there actually typing away at stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went to uni and I studied journalism and public relations and then part of that was choosing electives, which I went and did a creative writing course at Curtin University. And it wasn't until I kind of went there and learnt the tools and techniques that I then thought, okay, now I can do this for real. And I was working on a historical fiction novel for about seven years with my with my uni supervisor, but also alone before that. And I tested out, you know, the Australian agencies and when I was submitting to them. And I had a few that were kind of interested and actually phoned me up about it, but it never went anywhere. And then it wasn't until 2019 that I wrote. I thought, I'll just try something different. So I wrote a psychological thriller and I set it in the UK and I strategically thought about where I wanted to go with my writing career and I thought, well, I want to go big. So I I thought I'll go to the UK or the US and I'll try the agents there. And then while I was submitting in the UK, um, I saw that the Curtis Brown Creative had, well, Curtis Brown, the agency over in the UK, they run a course called Curtis Brown Creative that it's run by agents there. And I only had 24 hours to apply and I just quickly did it. I saw it on there and I thought, I'll quickly do it. This is my chance because at the end of that course, the agents actually um, consider your manuscripts. And so luckily I got in and that was like out of about a few hundred people apply for that course. You've just got to submit your synopsis and first three chapters. And I knew that my manuscript was developed enough because I'd been working with Louise Allen and she had been editing it mm. professionally with me. And I but I just knew that if I did this while I was out there on submissions with the UK agents. Hopefully, then a UK agent would acknowledge that Curtis Brown was like a reputable writing course, a bit like Faber Faber Academy. Yeah. And, And it actually worked. So, there were, I had about 15 full manuscript requests, and then Dali Anderson requested the full. And then I just was saying to these agents, I just want to let you know that at the end, like in a few weeks, the agents of Curtis Brown will be considering me. And then Jade, my agent from Darley Anderson, ended up representing me or offering representation. And then I had a few agents of Curtis Brown, they were passing my manuscript around as well. So it was just the best thing ever because mm, they're such a great agent, Darley mm, yeah. Anderson. Like they represent massive authors like Lee Child and Martina Cole and um, KL Slater. But the thing was with The Hidden, which was the psychological thriller um, novel that got me Dali Anderson, they um, could never find a publisher for it, which was really disheartening. And so I just thought, what am I going to do? Because I thought that once you have an agent, now you get published. And so I just wrote and wrote and wrote last year, just so much. I wrote three different novels. I wrote The Shallows, the one that's being published in eight weeks. And that was so unlucky got picked up after being at um Frankfurt Book Fair. So, yeah, it's ended oh, up really wow. good, like a good ending. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: thank yeah. you. So that leads beautifully into my next question with so we'll start with you Holly and go back around. So,
4: where are you at currently with your writing and publishing? So, The Shallows is going to be published by Thomas and Mercer, that they're the crime imprint for Amazon Publishing. And that's going to be out, published in June 2023. And then following on from that, because i got a two-book deal, so The Rip, the next one, will be out in 2024. So in May this year is when we start our edits on The Shallows. And in the meantime, I'm just finishing off The Rip and trying to get that mm. done. Yeah,
1: well, oh, congratulations that's very exciting.
4: It is really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. still can't really believe it actually. <laughs> well done. And I think when yeah. I first contacted you that
1: that was sort of still in the making
4: wasn't it? Yeah that, yeah yeah. That whole yeah. Thing. So, yeah. It's all happened so I finally signed with them yeah just signed with them so it's all it's all going through and it's awesome yeah. Oh um, that's
1: amazing and it's so just good. I'm loving hearing the different journeys but What I'm really hearing from all of you is just the determination and, you know, that this is what you want and you're going for it. So well done to all of you on that level. It's fantastic. So Alicia, you know, you said you are very caught up at the moment in doing the marketing and everything for something else. How are you then combining that with working on or wanting to work on your next? It's difficult
3: because when you print print-on-demand, you've got to organise relationships with every individual distributor and there's just mm. no way you can do that. But I'm sure we'll talk about that later. I, I thought, gee, this other book I'm writing is bogged down. I'm going to write something else. And um, like Holly, I thought, oh, I've got this London idea and I wrote a crime novel. And I wrote that in two months when you were inspiring everyone to do NaNoWriMo. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I, well, I, good. I'm glad somebody wrote something during <laughs> NaNoWriMo because I did. <laughs> I, I managed to churn out about 60,000 words in two months. And, but then I had a conversation with another writer, Tia Cooper, and We were talking about her books and about the fact that she sets herself aside by, she started with romance, but then she moved to ecological sort of historical. Historical, yeah. And uh, the reason I had coffee with her is because she's a Wollongonga girl too. And uh, she lives there. And just so we met. And uh, Pauline Bevan's another one who's local as well anyway she said to me look there's so many crime novels there's so many romance novels you've got to have a point of difference and I sat there and I thought "Mm, okay I've written this London crime novel and I've my first novel is setting itself aside by being Australian dialogue strong idiom really strong rural flavor and then I run away and do an London crime novel that's just not Mm. going to help me commercially you know I've got to be sensible here yeah so I put it aside and thought, oh God, back to the 14-year-old effort. I'm just gonna chug away and get something done. And I'm I think I'm just gonna pay the money and throw it at Nicola and just say, please, please help me. <laughs> Is this with the one that you had written previously? Oh, it's in fifth draft. And right. I've worked a lot, I've researched a lot, a little bit like Holly, but possibly not as doing the quality i did it with my masters with deborah adelaide as well so there's a lot of work in there but i think there's a lot of maturity needed mm. in it I, i'm not writing it as well as it needs and deserves to be written so that's why i keep putting it aside because in my mind it's new schwanstein castle and when i look at it it's it's a slab heart, you know so, <laughs> but yes that's my ambition that is my okay. ambition to get that out okay fantastic and you know
1: what you're going to take the experience that you've had in the meantime back to that the
3: next draft of that. So, so yeah, I for sure. So. They say nothing's wasted. Definitely
2: not. How about you, Valerie? Where are you at currently? So, I've been writing this novel. I wrote the first novel. It was my practice novel, all one hundred thirty-four thousand words. Practice. I only took the character and the title from that. Started writing the novel back in October last year, but had to stop and start because of my dissertation. Because I did my dissertation last year. And so early last year, I've decided, yep, I'm going to self-publish, but I wanted to be able to find something to hang that on to sort of learn the process. And I thought I didn't want to do it with my novel. And I thought, okay, I had written about 17, 18 short stories. Some of them had been picked up. Some of them had been sent off to competition. So I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do a short story anthology. I love short stories. I actually went to Fiona Robinson's launch. And um, so I was really pleased that she, a Brisbane girl did that as well. But so that's what I've been doing. So that's probably going to be launched in March next month. So I've just got the proofs back from the editor and at the moment I'm just um, self-editing the standalone novel. At the moment the title is There's Something About You, Olivia Bennett, but everybody keeps saying it's too long, but I'm stubborn. I love that title. and There's <laughs> a lot of ed- long
1: titles around. Yeah. I
2: know, and yeah. I've done the character thing. It's still a bit long, but I thought, no, nah, I'm going to stick to my guns because I'm very, very stubborn and I'm very much a square pig in a round hole and I just do what I want and I just don't follow conventions at all so i've got four editors now because i've been working with four different editors and rachel in canada i told her when she picks up the does the developmental edit i've told her please i really want to try and keep this novel see if we can make it work it does the the line does occur at a very poignant point in the novel so it does work i hope so that's that's going to to her so that's a standalone And out of my dissertation came out a novella, which is the Magical Realism piece. Ah, great. Um, That's my dissertation. I actually did really well with that dissertation. I actually got pretty great marks. I'm really... Oh, good on you. Like in the 90s, sort of. I'm really impressed with that. Like I I, I really didn't think I'd get through over the line. But so that's at 21,000 words, but I'm going to bring it to 40,000 words and bring in a second point of view because it's an epistolic novel. So I don't know if you know what that is because it's... I love epistolic novels. They're novels written by narratives built by letters or diaries. I love them. I've actually started some content marketing. I'm actually going to create one called Marcella is Marvelous. It's going to be some content marketing to try and get people to my website. And I'm going to give away the story step by step. Like I'm going to take on the persona of Marcella and write a diary as her. So that started last night. That's a great idea. Yeah, because I've... Thought with marketing, for me, content marketing is my strongest sort of skill, so that's what I'm going to focus on. Mm. And i have also drafting my first book in a romance series That's I've actually nabbed the editor for Virgin River. So she's my editor ah. and she's edited some work for me, so I've tested her and we get on really well. Her name's Valerie as well. And so I'm actually writing my first book in a, of a nine-book series set in in Tasmania. And that's another thing. I have this affinity for Australian women writers, and I just want to put Australia on the romance map because I, there's so much stuff is American, no offence mm. to American, mm. and their stories. I love them. But I just think we need more stories that are that are beyond just rural romance and just that we've got so much of this country. We've got ethnic people. We've got Aboriginal people. We've got women. We've got men. We've got, you know, LBTG LGBTQ, we LGBTQ, yeah. Yeah. L- <laughs> um, We've yeah. got that, that wonderful community and so it's set in a fictitious town in southwest Tasmania and uh, so I'm doing that and I'm writing and I write novelettes. So I balance about four or five projects at once. because And I, I want to have... know, do you sleep, Valerie? <laughs> yes, I do. I get about, <laughs> I only need about six to seven hours of sleep. Yeah. So I do sleep. But I get up at 4am every morning to write and then I go to work and then I come home and I edit, and then I have dinner and spend time with my family. And then I go back in and I do all my plotting and planning and my learning, and all marketing's on the weekend. So I have it all yep. segmented. So it's all happening at a specific time. That's, fantastic. that's what I'm working on. Yep. So, yeah. So it's great.
3: You must very be wearing busy. your underpants on the outside, Valerie. I'm yep. sure.
2: <laughs> when I remember to put them on.
3: No, I mean, you're a superhero. That's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs>
2: no, I think it's because I'm a teacher. We're so used to, you know what it's like. We're so used to being able to do stuff at, at certain times. Mm. Just, I just All I do is just
4: compartmentalize and I'm very focused. It's like, just do it, just write, yep. just write. Can I say you were saying about Australian um, writers and putting Australia back on the map, and one thing that I found really bizarre was with getting a UK agent, they ended up making the book that's getting published, The Shallows. They actually then changed that from a UK setting back into an Australian setting, which I was so happy about Mm. because I thought oh, I thought I'd just have to keep on writing these books that are set in the UK or around that kind of um, like Europe or whatever. And even The Rip, the second book, it's going to be set on Rottnest Island in Western Australia and they're happy, they want me to do that, which is so great. I thought they would think, oh, no, not Australia or no one will know what, you know, Rottnest Island is. But so That's great.
1: Maybe things are changing a little, you know, because it has been the case that they haven't really wanted Australian set stories, but hopefully that's changing.
4: I'm wondering if maybe Jane Harper has something to do. With yeah. Yes
3: yeah apparently Peter Temple in the 70s wanted to write urban Australian crime and they was telling him no no one wants to read about it and I just think Mm. it's shameful because we all read our own stories when we want to see streets we recognize we want to see scenery we know and I think overseas want to do that too now because the drive put us on the map I think and and others have too to be fair Michael Robotham too well he ended up
1: you know he'd written a few books I believe before he sort of really hit the big time and and that was when he said a book in the UK. So, you know, but maybe it's coming back around. So that would be wonderful
2: but we've just got so much to offer like yeah. I know we're upside down and I know we're so far away from everybody but we just have so many like yourself Pamela and, and so many wonderful writers in this country and I just think we should be able to showcase who we are without having to incorporate characters or settings that aren't Australian I feel really strongly about it yeah, and the more diverse voices
1: we have the better you know that, yeah. that because we are a country of great diversity in all different ways. So, yeah, why not show that? It's brilliant.
3: The interesting thing, though, is when you want the overseas book deal, the US editors ask you to change a lot of words, and that's where it can get very challenging. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Yes,
2: Mm. that's what I'm going to struggle with because I, yeah, I won't. It's got
3: to be ranch, not farm. Yeah, that's right, all those
1: little nuances. But the next thing I wanted to ask you, and I might start with you, and Alicia, on this, what are some of the obstacles that you found In terms of getting into publishing and to getting
3: your work out there. Look, it's very difficult to get an agent, especially if you want an Australian agent, because there just don't seem to be many available and they're all fully booked. Maybe taking the UK path like Holly did is something that's worth thinking about, you know, for that reason. And I just thought I'll take my own path. I want to control this. I'm a little bit like Mm. Valerie, but I want the compromise because You know, I don't want all the work that comes with the control either. Yeah, look, the barriers for me have really been about COVID because doing my own publicity, I could have got so much more response. All the libraries were saying, oh, yes, last year, 60 people, no problem. Yeah, we could have had this, we could have had that. This year, nothing. And Mm. the festivals were all dead because it's like they have the commitments from all the authors that they cancelled last year. So they're not Mm. even looking at new people.
4: So yeah, a newbie
3: true. like me that could have got, you know, five or six gigs, I had to send out all my emails again from September and I started getting inundated from libraries. So the support from those groups is wonderful, but you've got to go for the quality over the quantity because you just can't spread yourself too thin and and you also have to write somewhere too. So yeah. I suppose the barriers for me are the effort that I've had to put in to get this much and for me it's all about getting a mainstream publisher for book two, so that I get that distribution and I get that help next time round, so that I can then do better writing on the third book so
1: yeah it's yeah. a long-term so strategy got the plan yeah worked out it's the long-term game isn't it like I think initially there has to be that, you know, just expecting not really to make any money or even to lose money. In some cases, if you're indie publishing, you know, you've got to put the, the funds up there to, to do it. But like you isn't say, Alicia, it? it's the long term you've got to think about, isn't it?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: Holly, how about you? What have you found to be the difficulties that you've faced along the way? Yeah, I think definitely initially the rejections and especially with my other previous two novels that never went anywhere. I, I think I probably got 62 rejections on on the hidden and that was you know all the Australian agents and all the you know the US and the UK and I just think though that like at first and even when I was younger you know in my 20s I just I really took it to heart And I think a lot of writers that are starting out have to, you almost have to make friends with rejections. Uh, It can't be seen as an obstacle to me. They became like almost like a challenge. Like every time I would get a rejection, I would say, well, that's it. I'm going to now go send it, like submit it to two other agents. And it became this kind of game that I was playing with the rejections where I just always felt good knowing that if even if I got one, there's two more other chances out there. And I think, again, you know, going to the UK or the US just opens up that, you know, the amount of agents that are over there compared to what, what we have here in Australia. So the rejections were initially an obstacle, but by the end of it, I loved the rejections. And also, I think at first, like as well, I had such an ego about my writing probably when I was in my 20s, and you'd take everything personal, like all the feedback and the criticism. Whereas now, I love knowing what's wrong with my book or what's wrong with my writing. And the other obstacle that I think was really challenging for me was um, when The Hidden didn't get picked up after actually getting Dali Anderson as my agency and them submitting to it. I think it was 26 different. Top UK, US, and Australian publishers. That felt really. That was like one of those moments where I kind of collapsed in a heap and went, "Oh my gosh, it's never going to happen." And and even when the shallows went out on submission, I felt that again. Like, oh, here we go again. Here come the rejections. And but I think you just have to keep writing to forget about that and yeah. just and always have another project on the go. Otherwise, you just get stuck. Yeah, thinking about the rejections. So that's how I overcome it. Yeah,
1: that's great. It's really good for people to hear this. I think it's, it's their fantastic stories. How about yeah. you, Valerie? What have you found? Like, I mean, it um, sounds like you made the decision fairly early that you were going to go down the self pubbing route, but
2: yeah, what have been so, the
1: obstacles for you?
2: So I think the obstacles is all the learning. So the first thing I did was I focused on reading and listening to podcasts that focused on the craft of writing. So I did that first and then once I knew that I definitely wanted to do self publishing, then I switched while I was still writing. I started to doing did a lot of learning, reading, and podcasting on on the actual process of self publishing. And that's when I came up with the idea: I'm going to publish these short stories because there's ten in the in the anthology. It's the whole anthology is only about thirty thousand words. It's not going to take cost me a fortune to get mm. edited because. I, I love listening to your podcast and I love listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. And one yeah. thing that kept coming up every time I was listening when I was going to go down the traditional submission route was that the, the debut writers especially kept saying, oh, they learned so much from their editors and the more they worked with the editors, the better they got. And I kept thinking, I'm driving around in the, down the car and I'm going, so if I got an editor." you know, it's not till I can get an editor that I'm going to probably improve my writing. But if I don't get an agent, or if I don't get a publisher, I'm never going to get the editor. And then my mind just started to tick over and went, well, why can't I just control that? So then part of my business model is to do exactly what the trade publishers do. So I, I will get a developmental edit every time. I will never skimp on that. I will then go and do a copy edit and then I will then do the proofread. I have a professional cover designer. I I work with a budget, but I don't skimp on cost. I've got a designer in New York who's doing my novel. She actually redid all of Nicholas Sparks' books. So I pay a little bit more, Yeah, but I know that I'm going to get a good product for that. And so it was that learning that I had to do. And I was doing it all on my own, but I'm a nerd I mean, I have been studying, I won't even tell you how many degrees I actually have because I've just <laughs> finally stopped because I finally got to the end of my well. But but I am a nerd. I love learning. I'm a teacher. I love teaching. So for me, it's it's just making sure that I get as much. And one of the things I love, and I know you're part of this, but the Patreon, you know, the yeah. you have your Patreon Patreon so, community. Yeah. Yep. And so I also belong to Joanna Penn's Patreon mm-hmm. and Orna Ross's, who's the yep. CEO of Ali, who's the they're the the Indie Association, yep. and they're great because I can go to Joanna Penn because I, I, I am a patron and ask her questions wherever I need to. I can email Orna Ross and say, I'm having problems, give me advice. So that's what I'm connecting with people mm-hmm. I'm talking to mm-hmm. other writers. And then the other thing that's really the obstacle and it's part of my personality, so I'm listening to Holly and I my heart just goes <gasps> with the rejections. I've got these two blokes And they're horrible. Their names are Mr. Inner Critic and Sir Imposter Syndrome at me all the time. And they're my obstacles. So a lot of my work as a writer is not just the craft now, but it's my well-being. It's my state of mind, my mindfulness. I'm constantly working on my mindfulness as an author. And I'm doing a lot of reading because I think not everyone is going to love your work. Yeah. I know that somebody's going to read my work. They're not going to love my work. I get that. But I know that my work will be the very best work it can be. And then if somebody comes back and goes, I don't like your book because they don't like my type of stories, that's cool. But at least I know in myself that I've given it the best shot and I've given it a quality product because people yeah. give their time to read books. Absolutely. So you would not give them that, Holly. So yeah. they're the two obstacles. But they're obstacles that I just push through. And it's not easy. I don't think it's easy. And I think trade publishing and indie publish, it is a slow burn. Yeah. It is, and, yeah. And I like yeah.
1: To- you touched on a couple of things there, which I think sound like they've been a great support for you too, in that, you know, listening to podcasts, reading, talking to people with more experience than, than yourself in these mm. areas. Alicia, what have you found that's been really helpful for you in, in getting to where you are now? What sort of supports have kept you going?
3: Well, in addition to the Catherine Hayman classes and many other classes I've done and trying to get as much out of various one-offs or my masters as possible, when I started this self-with this publishing route, I thought, I don't know anything about Instagram. I don't know anything about doing media posts and I don't want to learn about Twitter. So I started listening to podcasts. In fact, I listened to quite a couple of yours, Pamela, and I was busy making notes thinking, oh, this is great. This is the stuff I need to know. And some of it was really step-by-step, step, you know, about BookBub, something I'd never heard, mm. and other alternatives to BookBub. And I thought, wow, there's a whole world out there, you know. And so I've made a lot of notes and listening to other podcasts, listening to other authors' experiences. One thing I did, I looked at other similar authors on Instagram and I thought, who do I need to model off? And I looked at Maya Linnell's site. Well, oh, Maya's yeah. got a great... In um, yeah, yeah. She's very professional. And I was looking at all these hashtags she had, and I learned so much just looking at her hashtags. Yeah. And I thought, wow, apart from wanting her life, I just <laughs> thought, okay. And I, I got my courage up. And I, my, my motto is if you don't ask, you don't get. So I emailed her and sent her a message, and she's a lovely person. She responded mm-hmm. and she answered some of my questions and gave me some advice. And you just get a little bit here and a little bit there as you need it, and eventually you've just got to dive in and do it yourself and learn by your mistakes. And you know, my first interview, I, I watched it and watched it and watched it, and thought, oh my goodness, I've got to stop doing X, I've got to stop doing Y, I've got to make sure I do this. I forgot to say my website at the end, you know, things like that. And yeah, was, yeah, okay, moving right along. I'm a learner, and next time I don't do that. So we're all learning, we all do things wrong, you just have to do less and less things wrong.
1: Yeah, and you know what? You're always learning, you know. It doesn't matter how many years you've been doing it for, there's still always more to learn about the craft, about the business, all and that The
3: publishing industry is changing so quickly. Yeah. Like when I started being interested in being published 20 or 30 years ago, oh, my goodness, I wish I'd done something then. I would have been more than a foot in the door now, and it's such a different thing now, you know? Mm.
4: Definitely. How about you, Holly? What have you found really supportive and helpful in getting you to where you are now? Well, first of all, I'm really lucky. My partner um, is a writer. He's not a published author, but he's a much better writer than me. (laughs) And we met at uni on the same creative writing course. He is just amazing. So we bounce ideas off each other. We talk about plot and inconsistencies and he just gets it like and he gets he gets the industry and all that kind of stuff so he's been a great support and also I've joined a writer's group with with Louise Allen who initially oh, my work, and also mm-hmm. Natasha Lester and <gasps> Polly Phillips. Oh, you've got and, all those uh, fantastic authors. Yeah, over they, there are, they yeah. are. I mean, and even just having Natasha, I you know, know, just with all her, she's got a wealth of knowledge. And we meet fortnightly on a Wednesday and we write together and then we talk and then we write and we talk. And I just, yeah, every time I leave one of their meetings, I just come out thinking, oh, my gosh, Natasha, I didn't know that. What do you mean that, like, like she told uh, told us um, something last week that I'd never even heard of, but she just knows everything. Mm. and And so, yeah, having their support and encouragement and just that motivation has just been great, like priceless really. And then also I really feel like the online community has been mm. amazing. Like I like you Alicia I was not on Instagram or any or Facebook before writing The Hidden and Louise Allen was the one that kind of said to me, You've got to get on there and you've got to show yourself. And and then after, you know, starting my website and interviewing authors for my blog was when I started really getting involved in it. And I find it so much fun now, like Instagram and posting it and just conversing with other authors. And I think you learn a lot about industry trends and the market. And so yeah, online community, writers group, and my partner. I'm I'm really lucky. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you know, I actually found all of you
1: on social media. That's how I've yeah. connected with you girls. And I think you all do a brilliant job on your, well, I'm thinking more Instagram. That's where I've been more yeah. lately than Facebook even. But, yeah, like, well, Holly, we'll go back around starting again with you. You've got that great blog where you've invited mm-hmm. people on to talk about different writing issues. And, you know, you've obviously found a really positive experience out there with with all that sort of thing on social media and Instagram.
4: Yeah, the, the online blog um, where I'm interviewing authors all about their road to actually securing representation with an agent, not even a publisher, more the agent side, really came about when I was looking for that. There wasn't really that much out there. the time like back in my uni days where you could actually just go and find one place where there was just multiple authors talking about how they found their agents and what a cover letter is and how to write a synopsis and you know how many queries did they have to um, submit to how many rejections did they get all those kind of really personal things that not many authors really talk about so I started with Louise and then I started with Polly Phillips, who I also write with on a Wednesday because she did the Curtis Brown course as well. So they were my first two. And then, you know, Louise told me about you, Pamela, and then like Holden Shepard. And I think it's just the more that you know people, the mm-hmm. more like they can see, oh, they've been a part of it, so we'll do it too. And it's led to, you know, coming up to, I'm going to be interviewing some pretty like well-known authors coming up. And it's just so great because then I have, their connections and I'm networking with them and then hopefully in future they'll end up you know either endorsing me or speaking about me and I just think like it's a real give and take thing in this industry isn't it like really sharing Um, Yeah. yeah I've really I've loved it and the blog has been great like hopeful writers really really find it to be like a beneficial Mm -hmm. forum so yeah it's good
1: yeah, well, I'm going to put the link to that in the show
4: notes because there are so
1: many great resources on that. You know, like you say, all those yeah. articles that I think it's really great for writers to read. So, and Valerie, you were mentioning that you love the marketing side and you did great posts on Instagram too. Have you really enjoyed that side? Oh,
2: of it? yeah, I didn't, th- like I had no idea, but the before I, I haven't even got a book out there yet. So I'm really itching um, to do the marketing. I'm loving the marketing. I, I think I should have been, got into marketing instead of being a teacher <laughs> just really enjoy it i love social media except that we didn't actually meet on social media i did your first course with the that's right. writers yeah. centre, and i fell in love with your work there and that's when oh, i stopped oh, you on you. social media after that <laughs> but yeah so i love social media but i think it can be a bit of a, a rabbit hole too you've got to be really mindful and so i play the 80 20 rule where i i want to just give i just want to give 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 and support all my writers and when when you've all got books out and you've got stuff I'm, I, I want to share and I want to um, celebrate in your in your successes because I think if we all work together, the publishing industry will only get stronger with really good books out there. But I do find that the one thing for me with marketing is it really is about connection. So my whole plan is when I market it is to basically just put my book or my books in front of its, its ideal reader. So mm. The statistics say is that there's 1 billion readers in the world. If you get 1% of those um, billion, you're making a nice little profit. But that's where my marketing is. So my marketing is all geared towards trying to get people who are my ideal reader. I would rather have 500 ideal readers on my email list than have 5,000 people who are just signing up just to get something for free. So that's where I want to go. I know Holly, you you um, have that blog where you're helping writers. I originally started my blog. If you were to go through my articles, you'll see there's been a bit of a shift because I started doing writing articles about my process as a writer and giving some, some advice. But then I realized that The people who are going to be signing up to my email list are going to be readers so I've just started to swing my uh, my blog around so that it has material that I think my readers would be really interested in and because I do tend to write romance and I love history and and I also Natasha Lester oh my gosh if I ever was in the same room just she's just like Natasha's gorgeous I'm just one of her biggest fans Ah. but I like like (laughs) Natasha I love fashion I love retro fashion (laughs) so I I try and do that so try and get those sort of readers in and everything that I do is it's about trying to get the right reader in. Like my Connecting email list is, with
1: those people. Yeah, yeah,
2: like my email list is really slow because I've, I've, I've just passed 100. It's a very slow those,
4: process. I know, it's, it's very, very slow. And two of those is
2: one's me, one's my husband. So really I haven't really got to 100 yet. So if you <laughs> want to join up and get it to 100, that'll be great. Yeah. Um, but I really do want people who are interested in 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 like what they think my stories are yeah. and, and I'll be offering You know, free stuff and just, yeah. So that's my marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to spend money at this stage because I'm only going to have a couple of books out. And it's a, I just feel everything I've been reading about, it's you've either got money or you've got time. And at the moment, time's a bigger, um, commodity for me that i'm going to utilize and then maybe you know maybe if i happen to make a bit of money i can invest in some marketing but there's so much out there you can do that you don't have to you can either spend money or you can either spend time and you just need to make that adjustment so it's you know i'm learning it's not perfect you're on the right track
1: it sounds like you're doing the right thing and i think like that whole thing with finding your ideal reader and making connections because you obviously love it like you say you love Mm -hmm. writing in Australia, about Australia, and you know, connecting with people who are the same. So, yeah. sounds like you're definitely on the right track. Yeah. How about and you,
2: Alicia? Oh, sorry for. Oh no, I was just about to say. I'm just just closing. I have made so many wonderful friends mm. via, like you two ladies. Now, I've just connected with you, you two, but I've also connected with someone called Sandy Barker. I don't know if you know Sandy Barker. She's just yeah, yeah. Barker. And we've never met. But I just I hope she doesn't mind me saying this but I just feel like we're just such good friends and yeah. we've only spoken on social media so yeah. it is yeah. such an amazing thing when you use it for good rather it's than It's
1: the beauty of the online world isn't it you know yes. like it can yeah. it can be a big time suck and you can use it in a negative way for procrastination mm-hmm. and stuff but it, you can make so many connections through it it's wonderful yeah. yeah Yeah
3: yeah
1: So Alicia how do you find the whole social media side and that
3: That aspect of? Well, I started off on Facebook just because that's where I had my friends. But I quickly realised that the Facebook page wasn't really getting the same traction as Instagram. And I've got some friends who are photographers and artists on Instagram. And they said, look, Instagram's a much more supportive artistic community. There's less on the politics and there's more on the creation, and people are very positive. And I have to say, that's been my experience. Mm. And I really love the feeds I get because. My, my big ambition is to have more followers than I'm following. But I do enjoy following a lot of authors and even though I'd like them to be readers following me, I'm learning a lot from the other people that I follow and it is it is a feel-good to support other people and say, hey, your cover looks brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, what you've just posted is really encouraging or whatever and you learn by that as well mm-hmm. and it's give and take, as Valerie was saying. So that part of it I'm really enjoying it and with Instagram being so visual and beautiful and, and you go to some sites and they do amazing things with colour and they link their th- They're very creative and, and it's, it's really inspiring. Everyone said to me I should get on Twitter and I suppose at some point if I ever get a big publishing deal, they'll tell me I need to and I just can't have this concept of working with 140 words. I just think I'm 60. Or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> I mean, look,
1: clearly. Two forty. I think it's gone up to. Oh, has it gone up again? I think. I think it went up to two forty.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and and I just, I think because I'm so used to hearing terrible stories about Shane Warren and other people <laughs> on Twitter, I just it's given me this bad impression of what goes on on Twitter. <laughs> but look, I, I probably will have to give in eventually. But I do use LinkedIn. As well, because having a professional financial background, I've got a lot of connections, and even though they may not be a lot of authors, there are a lot of readers out there who yeah. have these jobs, and I'm enjoying actually making this general shift to all my my friends on LinkedIn less accountants and more publishers and editors and and okay. drivers. and I'm really enjoying that. And I, I know that when I'm posting on Facebook and Instagram, there's a lot of duplication, and and they say you've got to be careful about that because people get bored seeing the same posts and with Instagram I'm reasonably certain that there's a lot less overlap so yeah a nice thing I'm actually targeting a different market because I, I think what Valerie was saying is very important because you you really, you can't target everybody and quality is far better than quantity. You want people that are likely to read your book or if not read it, recommend it to somebody else, not just there for the freebies or, or for the pretty pictures. So yeah. I think those things are really important to be mindful of because you do get sucked down the rabbit hole of looking at everything and going, oh, wow, this is great. Oh, it's six o'clock and I haven't done anything yet. Or I've spent all afternoon doing three posts and it's, I had to design them, create them, do all the hashtags, get all the links, then put it on my website, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Duh, 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 and it's like, where did that afternoon go? Yeah, absolutely. Valerie, you've got um, something to add? Yeah, just
2: have you heard of Canva? I use Canva. Okay, but yeah, I love
1: yeah.
2: Canva. I can spend hours on Canva. I get it for free because I'm a teacher.
1: Nice. Are you a mm-hmm. teacher, Holly?
4: I am, yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm only teaching one day a week, which is just the best. So the the rest of the time I'm writing, I feel really, really lucky. But I love what you were saying, Valerie, about switching the content to for readers rather than for other writers. Mm. And I definitely think once my book comes out, that's what I'll be doing as well. But mm. it's so, I think because I just know how long and hard I worked to try and get there, I just still want to help oh. other, yeah, mm.
2: yeah, and yeah. And, like, I'm certainly not published yet, but, you know, if anybody, I think people will start to, who get to know me know that if you ever need to co- reach out to me and ask me a question because I've been there done that or I've done all the reading i'm i'm more than happy to help and yeah. talk to people and and i've i've had people come up and ask me they've brought me coffee because they want me to sit down and they want me to they want to pick my brain and and it's not mm. because i'm I have nothing published but because I'm going through that process yeah. what is it like to work full time and become and be an author at the same time how do you manage that and and I'm doing that and so if I can instill some tools or skills or strategies to help you do that why yeah. not you know yeah for, for sure, sure. Well, one thing I
1: realised I haven't asked you, because I I want to finish off, I'm going to ask you all to share at the stage where you're at now what would be your advice or or your top tip to give to people. But before we do that, I realised I haven't actually asked you what your latest or your book is about. Like, (laughs) give us the spiel. So, Holly, can you tell us your book? Yeah,
4: so The Shallows. Yeah, The Shallows that's coming out in um, next June is a thriller survival story. Mm-hmm. It's set in Sydney and then it's set on a private yacht and then it's set on a, sorry, on like a luxury yacht and then it's set on a private Queensland island. It's about a woman whose husband kidnaps her and their children after their neighbours found brutally murdered and there's this whole link between the families. But it's essentially about people comparing their lives with other people and just becoming obsessed with it and the danger. In mm. And then The Rip that's out in 2024, that's set on Rottenest Island. And that's about just two families who are there for a holiday and the little boy, one of the boys goes missing while they're in the house next door. And where could he go missing on the island when all the kids were with him at the time? But the stories are not like they they they're commercial, but I do I do write with more of a literary kind of style, if that makes sense. Yep. And I think that's probably because of my uni um, days and like being taught, you know, to write that way. So even though it's you know commercial, it's very My stories are like quite gritty and dark, yep. um, more more kind of like a Sarah Bailey kind mm. of um, vibe, mm. um, rather than you know more of a commercial girly vibe. Yeah. 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 So that's,
1: oh, that's the exciting. Yeah. 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 They sound like page turners. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Alicia, what about something else? We, we, I, I, I know, but I want the listeners to know what that's about.
3: Look, if I was lazy, I'd say it's an Australian Brokeback Mountain. My publisher <laughs> classified it as romance, and um, romance, apparently, in the modern sense, has to have an H E A, and that's not how my book resolves it it has a positive resolution i prefer to call it a love story but there's no genre called love story right no, um, yeah but it's a love story in the vein of Time Traveler's Wife, in the vein of Brokeback Mountain, in the vein of Eric Segal's love story. Wow! And it's the journey of a character who's very traumatised from a childhood incident. He's uh, prickly. He he doesn't know how to give love. He doesn't know how to be himself. He's one of those rural characters that's always joshing and joking around and being blokey. And that's he's done that for so long; it's become an armour. Anyway, he he meets somebody who opens up his world and it's very unexpected. And he, he learns that he is capable of being loved and he's capable of receiving love and giving love and being worthy. And I think that's a message for everybody. Mm. And uh, I've been sort of promoting it as saying, look, we've just come through COVID with all the isolation, disconnection. We've forgotten what it's like to have hugs. You know, we're, we're all going through that, disconnected feeling and in in my book i explore the journey of coming out of that and it is an lgbt story and i'm trying to put rural next to lgbt Mm. and as you can imagine that's a bit challenging in some rural communities i've had some libraries say to me oh you know oh not sure if that's going to work and um the irony is though when you look at a lot of gay fiction It's all read by women, mainly. All your readers are your 50-plus women. They buy the books, they read them, and they're able to put themselves into a a character's shoes more than a man can because, as Mm. you all know, men tend to read male authors, and women are a lot more flexible, I think, in how they think about characters and how they think about story. So many women are reading my book and they're saying it's a powerful journey, and the fact that it's an LGBT vehicle it's not an issue for them, which yeah. is really inspiring for me. All um, right? Yeah, like, like you say, it's, it's a love story. You know, That's you know, right, and mm-hmm. it's a journey, and and we can all experience that journey. So, and it's very strong Australian idiom. I haven't been ashamed to use slang. Everything I've thrown the box and dice, I've given it both barrels and what's in the cupboard, because I just think our stories need to be told in yeah. our tone, in our way. And I don't want to be apologising and having this chip on my shoulder saying, oh, I'm so sorry, it's Australian. Mm -hmm. Because the more (laughs) of us that do it, we're blazing a trail so that the next person can do more. Like, look at Jane Harper. She's made that so much more possible for all of us. absolutely. And not to say she was first either. She shouldn't get all the credit. Yeah. Yeah. um, And my next book is um, I'm working on a time slip. It's an historical mystery murder of something that's happened back in the 30s during the Second World War, and I'm comparing that I've got the modern story of 1988, which is sort of my era, and and I'm mixing the two in together and I'm coming to a a conclusion. So possibly my my ongoing theme is going to be the missing child and and cold cases in a way, but definitely Australian idiom. That's definitely what I I feel comfortable with being a rural girl,
2: and I want other people to... Good on you. That's brilliant. I love it. Valerie, so the anthology is basically 10 stories that have derived out of my Italian culture. So the stories have a very Italian flavor to them. They're based on Italian families. They're not all all based on Italian families. There's one, a beautiful one that I based on Greek mythology. It's a modern day story between a Greek girl and a young man she meets at a festival and a raging river. And there's another one, I've got a beautiful story there about two women who are lovers and are trying to have a baby, but Frankie's grandmother is dealing with dementia, so... There's that story, and then there's an, there's an epistolic, there has to be an epistolic story in there, and that's basically a poignant story there. So they're basically the tagline is stories of family loss and love. My editor in Toronto, who did the proofread, Lottie wrote back on the weekend and said, Oh, you do tragedy so well. So <laughs> there are some sad moments, so there's happy moments. So that's that anthology. So very much about life. And but it does have that, like I think I've purged all this Italianist which is part of that'll be my style and then this novel that I'm that's about to go to the for the developmental editor is a dual timeline novel it's set in 1989 and 1964 and the reason why it's 1989, it's because I really wanted Olivia's mother to be an Italian migrant, and I and I, it needed to happen in the 60s because that's when most of the Italians came okay. out. Yeah. And my, my auntie was a proxy bride. I don't know if you know what they are, but they're women who were married. The, the Italian fathers wouldn't let their daughters travel to marry men in Australia because there was no Italian girls in Australia at the time. So she comes out as a pretend proxy bride, but something horrific happens to her. That causes her to change her. So she changes her name once, she changes her name again. But Olivia knows nothing about her mum. And then her mum has her mum dies when she's young. And Olivia's very, she's got this scar and she's very shy and she's very closeted. I, I sort of drew a little bit off her from Eleanor Oliphant. Is completely fine, oh, yeah, sort of character, but she doesn't have book. autism yeah. or anything like that. But she's just very shy. There's a love story, but this trunk arrives with all these items haute couture, dual shoes, photographs, nude photos, everything. And it belongs to her mother. She knows nothing about it. And so she goes on this quest mm. to discuss. I get goosebumps when I think about yeah. it. And she goes on this quest <laughs> and she finds who she is. Because yep. she doesn't know who she is, doesn't know who her father is, doesn't know anything about a mother. She's lived on her own and she goes on this quest. And I cry, I've cried three or four times every time I've done a draft. So I thought that's a good sign, I hope. Good. But it's that's um, good. <laughs> but it's one of those stories. There's a beautiful ending, it's just this story about belonging, where who we are, how we're accepted, how beauty is always about the inside because she's got this massive scar and so it's about who we are and the beauty us, oh, and that's that story there so that's that sounds one. wonderful
1: sounds wonderful they all sound fantastic <laughs> okay before we wrap up what would be one tip that you would give to anybody out there who is either working on a novel or really thinking I've got all these novels here and I really want to get published but I just don't know what to do next Holly,
4: what would, you, what would be one piece of advice based on your experience that you would give to? Me? Probably meet other writers or join a writer's group or a writer's course. That would probably be the one if I could mm-hmm. pick one. Yeah. Okay, great. Alicia? Look, you've got to get
3: out there and see what other people are doing. How did they succeed? Because the publishing industry is changing so quickly. If you follow what someone did 20 years ago, it's not going to be appropriate. You've got to look at the young guns out there. And we're not all young, but you know, the people that are emerging writers who are dealing with the the now of publishing, not what was here five years, 10 years ago, because publishers expect you to do all the legwork now. You've got to be a commercial proposition. There's no pie in the sky stuff anymore, I don't think. So you've really got to think like a business. You've got to think target markets and because so many people say, oh, oh, but I want to write what I want to write. And, And yes, absolutely, you should do that. But you can't be ignoring commercial realities because you're going to be told oh we don't want your book because we've just published five of them you know so so you have to have an awareness of what's out there while working in your little bubble creating your wonderful story and if you need to modify it a little bit or maybe work on an alternative while the market comes back to you with your story um, because once you've got something out, then people want to read more of what you've written. So mm-hmm. if you've written something that everyone else has written, you'll be forgiven for that because they want to read you. So I think those commercial realities can't be ignored and studying what, what's happening in the market and seeing what other people are doing and listening to podcasts like this, I think, are valuable. I learned so much from yours, Pam. Mm-hmm. And, um, That's so you good. know, Michelle Barraclough she runs some brilliant yeah. podcasts as well. Give her a shout out. Yeah, and, fantastic. Um, the, the Right Way podcast, Words and Nerds, there's so many on here and they all have different authors with different ideas. So learn, learn, learn.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Thank you.
2: Valerie? I'm going to go the Kumbaya way. <laughs> and I'm going to say, believe in yourself and whatever you do, just get it out there. Don't be afraid. Make sure that it's the very best work that you can do with the resources and tools you have at hand at the beginning. And I think the one thing that you've got to remember is that don't compare yourself to a published book because it's gone through a massive amounts of po- uh, polishing. Study those books to know what makes a great book, what makes great characterization, writing. But try don't compare yourself to somebody else, but, but embrace um, other authors and support them and learn from them. and just, mm. just believe in yourself. And just don't be scared because I believe the statistics say that 80% of people want to write a book. Three percent do, and only one of them do actually get it published or write a second book. So if you finish mm-hmm. one manuscript to the very end, you are doing more than what most people have ever dreamed of, and that should be the pat on the back that you do. And yeah. I think just believing that's yeah. true, Valerie. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think you all there was very
1: definitely a common theme there about it, with all that advice. So yeah, you're definitely all on the right track. So before we go, Valerie, can you tell us where people can find you online? Yes, because I, I
2: will get this wrong. If you go to my website on valeriegmiller.com, you can get to most of my social media, but you can find me on Instagram at valerieg.writer, Facebook at valeriegmillerwriter or Twitter at valeriegmiller.
1: Okay, great. And I, as I said, all the I'll list all the everybody's contact details on the show notes for the podcast whether you're on audio or on the website, they'll all be there as well. Alicia, where
3: can we find you? My website's alicia aliciathompson.com.au and I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Alicia Thompson Author. And my books are available for purchase on the website and I've got links to the ebook that go through to my publisher, Nine Star Press. So, but look, go to bookshops, support the brick and mortar places.
4: Yep great thank you Holly you can find my website is hollycraig.com and that's where you'll find all my blog and interview posts and then Instagram is I think it's Holly Craig writer it's <laughs> <That's laughs> I never really look at it but uh, yeah Holly Craig writer is my yep. Instagram and I don't have Facebook and then Twitter I think is Holly Craig writer as well but I've barely mm. gone there yeah
1: <laughs> fantastic well is there anything any of you want to add before we wrap up no, just thanks for having us, yeah, Pam. It's been, it's been a trip. Yeah, <laughs> it's been so much fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure to get to know you uh, a bit more today and I'm really looking forward to following your careers and seeing what's coming next for all of you. So congratulations on where you are and I, I think it's fantastic that you're just pushing on and getting on and, and really doing what you want to do. So well done. And thanks, thanks for Pamela. the opportunity
2: to Thank you. Too. Thank you. Yeah, okay.
1: Thanks, Pam.
2: Bye, everyone.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end.